Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty's Social Impact Pioneers podcast series. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. These interviews with social impact pioneers provide you with insights, different perspectives, advice and maybe a little inspiration, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are tackling some of the world's biggest social challenges so that you can learn from those who have been there before, helping you in your decision-making and action-taking. Hello and welcome. We have a special series of podcast conversations for you recorded live during the Business Fights Poverty Global Goals Summit in 2023, where we were joined by members of the community in New York and globally online. I hope you enjoy them and I really welcome your feedback. During this conversation, we're going to explore inclusivity. What inclusive means to business? Why inclusive businesses and leadership is better for business and shows great leadership? And particularly why including the voices, priorities and ideas of young people into business thinking is invaluable. This conversation that you're about to hear is going to involve Morton who's the People, Sustainability and Brand Head at Novozymes, alongside Aylan, who's the President and CEO of the Opportunity Network. We pick up here during my opening introductions. Enjoy. Because I don't know about you, but I feel like I've been working on um, sustainable issues uh, one way or another with big businesses for quite a few decades now. And uh, the grey hairs are real. And I always felt as though we were kind of moving forward. We were always going a bit slowly. We always felt as though there was lots more to be done in terms of inclusivity, in terms of everybody being at the table, in terms of trying to create more equity and inclusion. And then something strange has happened in the last few years, and I feel like we're going the wrong way. And it's the first time that, for me anyway, I've ever felt as though the headwinds are so much that we're properly being pushed back. And so I want to kind of introduce these fantastic people to share a bit of that kind of personal insight, because I want to know whether it's just me who's feeling this. And if not, then what can we do about it? Um, So Aileen, I wanted to turn to you first, please, if you don't mind. Introduce yourself for the room and everybody online and share a bit about the work that you've been doing. You work a lot with young people across the city and beyond. And tell us, have things changed? Am am I talking absolute rubbish? What, what, What are you hearing? And tell us about yourself. Um, Hi, everyone. My name is Aileen Koo. I'm the president and CEO of a U.S.-based organization called the Opportunity Network. We're a national nonprofit, and we work with young people, and we work with institutions. So that means other community-based organizations, higher ed institutions, and employers, and also educators to help young people from underrepresented backgrounds to build the life that they want. So I always say building the life that they want, because that is steeped in agency and steeped in power. And we work primarily with young people of color, We work with people who are from uh, low-income communities, and they have been historically represented in this nation. And what we do with them uh, for the past 20 years is we have a model that both is around post-secondary access, and so college, as well as making sure they understand what career options are available to them, and so they can make their own choices. And we also work with businesses to create better environments for them to thrive. And the one key piece about what we do with our young people that is special is we focus a lot on networks and social capital. And so this is the piece where I think links in. I don't think you're speaking, talking rubbish at all. 
and networks and social capital, it's really how we move and how the world runs, right? If we think about it, it's how what powers a lot of our relationships behind the scenes. And when we talk about inclusion and we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, I always wonder where's the seat for our young people to engage their voices. And we do a lot in centering our young people and so that we can build with them and we can co-design with them because they have so many assets and so many talents. And when we only apply adult brains and adult thinking and frameworks we came up with, we leave a lot of things untapped and a lot of things unsaid. And so how do we build in structures and infrastructure to include their voices? So one of the things I'll jump into right away is how we include young people into thinking about employability. Now, this is something you all grapple with day in and day out because you're trying to find the best talent, you're trying to find diverse talent, and you're trying to do it right. And it's incredibly difficult, right? It's difficult because you you can't just say, well, give me one pipeline and then I'm just only going to go to this one school. And, the, and then I'm just going to pick the top 10% from this one particular school and, and then we'll prioritize the diverse talent from there because that's already filtered in some ways. And so that pool of candidates you're going to is already not inclusive in the way that you're think, we're thinking about inclusion. And so what we're doing with our young people is we're participating in, our young people are participating in something called youth participatory action research. And they're helping us develop a employability model so that we can identify what employability really looks like and shows up as uh, when we talk about first-generation young people of color and going into white-collar spaces where they're primarily the minority. Thank you so much. And I wanted to then turn to Morton. So Morton, you've hot-footed it over from Denmark. You're part of Novozymes. You're looking at people as well as sustainability and and brand, and your you portfolio is massive. But I wanted to ask you, what does sort of inclusivity mean to you and the work that you're doing? But also, what's the kind of, what's the business case? I mean, it's all very well and good saying, oh, isn't it lovely to have everybody included? But presumably, you know, business doesn't do anything for just nothing. What, why, why do we do it? First of all, thank you. And thank you for allowing this conversation to happen. It is a, it is a very interesting dialogue. So I'm representing Novozymes. We are the world's biggest biosolutions production company. We produce enzymes and microbes to truly transform the world. And in that transformation is needed change. You need to go out and do it differently. We need to get away from fossils and chemicals. And we need to actually have a nature-based and a biological solution to replace it. In that space, when you need to have speed, change, you need everyone to uh, participate. You need everyone, different kind of skill sets, different kind of thinking, the whole looking at it from a systemic perspective on saying, how do we alternate our uh, value change? How do we become even faster in innovating, in bringing new products to market? That requires different way of thinking. And in that lies the business case. So how do we de-risk our business model in actually getting in people with different mindsets, both from a gender, but also from an age perspective, from a cultural perspective? but also just from a different thinking perspective. And that is truly the business case for, as we see it, it is simply just good business to have the ability to think differently, speed up the processes and put a right product forward. And Ellen, sort of then bringing you in here, I mean, how, how do you do that? From the experience that you've had working with those young people, working with all sorts of that sort of diversity, how? Because you know, if it was super easy, it would just be business as usual. But for some reason, we're still sitting on a stage talking about this. I feel like we've been sitting on a stage talking about this for a bit. But, um, you know, how do businesses better 
create that inclusive space, make sure everybody can be heard, but also included? Well, that's a question we asked our young people, actually. And uh, we conducted a qualitative research where we conducted uh, conversations with over 100 youth. And we're using a very smart software that helped us tag the conversations. And there were some themes that came up in terms of what our young people are looking for, thinking about inclusion and thinking about diversity and equity at work. And there were some primary themes. And one, they in the future of work, what they're looking for is this kind of balance between flexibility and autonomy, right? The ability to do well and to do good in their jobs, but then also being trusted to do that work. So that's the first thing. The next piece that, that we heard from our young people is opportunity, the ability to grow, right? To advance, that you're investing in them. They want to know that they're being invested in, and then you believe in them, and that matters. And that last piece, is humanity. They're looking for you to understand that they're humans at work. And I think I say all these three things. It came out from our young people. I feel pretty sure y'all would agree that you feel the same way. These are also the same things that you're looking for when you think about your growth and your professional journey. And so those are kind of three themes that our young people told us, right? And what they were seeking when they're thinking about their professional journeys and their work, workplace experiences. And in terms of how you do it, there's so many different entry points. And it really depends on the corporations and the employers that we work with. Everybody has a different entry point, a different sense of readiness, a different sense of how they hold their personal privilege in the way that it shows up. And I would say there are some big macro things, and then there are some micro things that you can do as just as a person. And so an example I use when we coach employers and mentors and um, supervisors who are for the first time or for the second time, supervising a young person that they're not familiar with, somebody who's just fundamentally different, has a different life experience. I ask them to think, what do you know about your biases, right? And there's, we, we all have them. We all have them, but you have to actually deliberately work at uncovering them for yourself. And so one of the things I ask is, maybe you need to audit yourself. And so this is a daily action you can take. How often do you interrupt people? And who are you interrupting? Is there a pattern? Is there a trend? You build the data set. You uncover that for yourself, right? And then who are you inviting out to lunch? And what assumptions are you making about who can pay for that lunch? That also matters, right? And so all these things that we hold, as, especially because we've been in workplaces for so long, they become tacit and deep inside us. And we don't take the time to make it explicit and actually coach somebody through. But it's all that tacit knowledge that becomes culture. And it becomes what your company just does. And so for somebody who, who is not familiar with that, right, and who didn't grow up with a network of people who is telling them, oh, by the way, when you go to, when you start your first week, try to, you know, grab a coffee with a coworker, right? It seems simple, but they matter because that's how you build networks and how you build connections. So making these things really explicit. So these are just everyday behaviors, right, for you to do, hold yourself accountable to do. And then in mass, it does make a big change. Leadership matters when leadership in case, as well as a business case. And I, I would stress, like, it's not always just a business case. It's because we're all humans at work, right? And so that matters. And so to have leadership support it, but then also invest in it for us to see that there's dollars behind it. I think just to say you're making a commitment without action, we know, we see it. Our young people definitely see it. I mean, if you have any young people in your lives, especially adolescents, you probably don't. <laughs> want to be on their bad side, right? You see it, you feel it. And so I think it's important that you follow through on those commitments and you show them and you demonstrate it. So I think there's just some of the ways that you can do it. Picking up on that leadership piece, I mean, 
I don't know about you guys, but I um, went on, I think it was called the unconscious bias training course, uh, probably about 10 years ago, which is the idea that um, we all hold biases in ourselves and we don't even know that we're doing it and we all have to sort of change and that's the way to be more inclusive. I feel like that training happened 10 years ago. How can we move beyond, Morton, just a bit of training that says, oh, after this training, you're going to be inclusive and you're going to be sort of seen to be an inclusive leader or like kind of change that leadership piece. How do we better move beyond to properly embed diversity into into the way we do business? I love the conversations we have had uh, over the recent month, years on this topic as well, because one of the things is we're sitting here now the SDGs, we're midway. Well, we have gotten 12% basically on baseline from where we started or improved marginally. And this conversation just keeps on every decade. Like, what do we do and how do we actually engage and how do we ensure? And it does bit feel that we are stuck in the same rut. But I do also believe to your point that you need to know yourself as a leader, that unconscious bias just on who am I inviting out for lunch? What, who am I cutting off in conversations? It really matters. So yes, I understand your point. It is not just doing the training and then uh, everything is good. You need to know yourself as a leader. But there's a point where we need to start moving away from and start calling out what is good and what is bad leadership. This whole thing on setting up a, a bit of training, some nice PowerPoints and saying that we want to be as an inclusive company. What does it actually mean and what does it take for an organization to be inclusive? And what does good look like? So if you're a leader today and you have a different uh, set of uh, employees uh, in your team, and that can both be youth and it can be people in midway of their career and towards the end of their career, they actually all want to be treated the same way. They actually want to be respected. They want to have the ability to be upskilled and reskilled and have an ability to just be doing a good job and be recognized for it and be trusted in what they do. So this on youth, yes, I understand the, the, the point and the dilemma here, but it actually goes across everything. And for me, it's more, how do we call out what is good leadership and bad leadership? And how do we ensure that we start pushing that agenda forward? Because right now we are discussing, should we be X amount of percentage uh, females on a board? Or should we be X amount of, if you turn that around, you could say, could we actually have a policy saying, ah, we want to have less female? That's almost the feeling we're saying, it's 40, that's good enough. We could turn around saying, ah, let's have more men. And for me, that, that is really where it's starting to hurt that we continue down the same conversation on uh, if we do bare minimum, then it's okay. This is about how we push the envelope. We have seven more years for the SDGs to, uh, to come to an end. How do we really now dramatically start to change the path we're on and then really call out good leadership and bad leadership because that will drive business, whether it's uh, attracting or retaining the right people. And if I have a call for anyone in here, Look at the company you're in, look at your leader you're in. If they are not diverse, if they are not looking for inclusivity, they don't deserve you. Move on. There is plenty of opportunities around that actually foster and nurtures that. I'm now going to step out of this conversation. I'm going to let you guys interview each other. Uh, Morton, over to you. You're, yeah. you're in charge of ALN for a second. So sitting here at the midway and we do the UN Global Stock Take on the SDGs and reflecting on where we are now, what would you like to see or what is your dream in 2030 for enterprises to actually support your mission and your dream? What do you need more of in, in this whole sphere? It's a big question. 
I think for me and in the location where I sit, where I work with young people and I think about their access and I think about their opportunity and I think about them being architects of the future, I think I have many wishes. But by 2030, I would love to see some of the biggest, oh, I would say the loudest voices, not the biggest, but some of the loudest voices in our global economy to establish youth council so that we can see young people being active in co-creating a future we all want to live in because ultimately we're asking them to fix all the things we're leaving behind. And so that is the ask, then they absolutely should always have a seat at the table. I would also say, I would love to see what does learning in public look like for corporations when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging in the workplace. I think when it's public, you hold yourself a lot more accountable and what you do in public, what has to match what you do behind the walls in your offices, right? And this is coming off the heels, especially here in the United States, right? Um, After George Floyd's murder, there was billions committed into Black Lives Movement. And, you know, and just now you're looking at it, that money actually hasn't gone to the communities that's intended for. So what does accountability look like as we charge our way forward to 2030 in public? And then being willing to say, to apologize correctly, because we've seen a lot of apologies out there and they don't always they're not really real apologies, right? There's no accountability. It's, just, it's really just a mask and say, let's get on with it. So accountability, youth council, and engaging our young people and creating the future that they're inheriting from us. Oh, very nice. Yeah, thank you. So that's a thank you. Uh, that was my best attempt at that answer. And so I have a question for you. Can you think of a time where you listened to an underrepresented voice or voices? and implemented a change because of that voice. And that change benefited the whole community. Yeah, that's a really also a big uh, and a really good question. So I, I have had the fortune uh, in my career to travel around the world and been living in, a, in different places. And what you start realizing is when you're taking yourself out of your, your norm and your context and actually being placed into new situations, that you know nothing. And you need to start actually wondering why is it that the things that I have been used to be successful with and that I normally always succeed on, how do I actually yeah, listen, try to start to do changes to that? And when I look at it from a company perspective, we have been wondering why is it that we're not accelerating fast enough in certain areas? But when you start asking those questions to either youth groups or to other minorities, why is it that you are a minority. Why are you not represented in our organization? Is it something in our language? Is it something in the way we structurally are set up? All of a sudden, you get this, you, you get a, a complete book on things that have you thought about this? Have you thought about doing this and this? Every time you say this, this is the reflection on me. So these conversations is extremely powerful, I feel. And you dare asking, why is it that this group of individuals is underrepresented in our organization or in this geography? What is it that we're doing wrong? And just, I feel, opening up, being honest, and asking the questions. Then you don't need the unconscious bias training, but you actually start real life hearing it from individuals that you want to be doing differently. And that is extremely powerful. Yeah, it's that opportunity of like, at the moment, I feel like sort of if you're in one generation, you stick in your kind of generational lines almost, and it's kind of recreating that intergenerationality. That's not a word. I think we've got time for an extra question. And so I'm going to throw this in. These guys don't know this question at all. Um, I'm going to throw this in there. Now, stereotypes obviously are not what we're aiming for here, but 
I do wonder, Aileen, while we've got you here, what are the trends that you're seeing with regards to the youngsters and people that you are working with that perhaps us who aren't in your sort of role might be missing? Because actually there's also that piece that the world has changed for all of us, particularly for young people, as they're looking forward into their future as well. What are the trends that you're perhaps seeing that they might be experiencing that we might not have experienced? Do you have a sort of sense of what's worrying them? What what are the things that they're kind of focused on at the moment? I think in terms of what they're worried about, I think they're worried about the health of our planet, right? And I think in terms of access to jobs and opportunities um, and prosperity, I think there's a sense of hopelessness, right? In terms of how are we going to, right? Because we we see the backlash, right? Especially here in the States, right? This is happening right now in real time. And so I think they see the statements, they hear the grand speeches, but they're not feeling the impact of it, right? And so in that's their lived reality. But I would say on the promising side is that our young people are incredibly adaptive and incredibly flexible, more so than I will speak for myself than I will ever be at this at my age, right? And so their ability to incorporate and integrate new technologies into their lives and with critical thinking and just smart and savvy is something that is a sight to behold. And um, and so I'll give you one example. It's not an example from the Opportunity Network, but an example from something I read online and I thought was hilarious, but also fantastically brilliant which was a manager at a job asked a young person, I said, can you bring me 50 sheets of paper? And the young person brought over sheets and a stack of paper over to the manager. And the manager like, why is this paper warm? And the young person says, well, I just set 50 blank copies in the coffee, co- copy machine. So I didn't have to count it. And that is brilliant. <laughs> I don't know about y'all. I was an administrative assistant. I did not think to do that. So that's what I mean, like that level of, so if you imagine and we, we invest in their critical thinking, we invest in their relationship building and we couple that with deep cultural humility and what we could steer AI to do in service of us and the world that we want to live in. I mean, that's for them to imagine. But, but it is that imagination. It's the fact that, you know, if you think about somebody being born 100 years ago you could they they perhaps knew where you knew where you were going you could see your dad's job and you're probably going to do the same as your dad or your mum and you just carry on whereas we're saying now that the, none of the jobs are going to be the same none of the world's going to be the same so you've got to just we've just got to try and equip as best as possible i wonder whether we could sort of round up this conversation a little bit and wondered what with the guys and girls who are in this room and online but also potentially throwing this conversation out there further what would be your kind of call to action? Who do you want to reach out to or, or kind of key takeaway? Morton, would you like to go first? Yeah. But first of all, I share with you the concern that we have been going backwards for a couple of years or the past decade. But I'm also I'm excited to see what is happening. Because to your point, the young generations that are either just about to get into the job market or have entered right now in the recent years, they are extremely adaptable. They actually are coming with a completely different DEI focus and perspective than the generations that are currently in the market. And for me, that gives hope. The question is more, 
is it going to be too slow? Do we need to open up the path even further and just sit and waiting until they get into uh, to senior roles? And and that's maybe the action I want to take. And I'm I'm looking at is how do I keep on accelerating through the work we're doing in our company in the local areas where we have our biggest sites? How do we invite in? How do we get that input? How do we get that that mentality that we truly want to be inclusive? But also we are reflecting on how do we bring every voice of the individuals into the company. And that's uh, that's the big action I want to be pushing forward. Good house there. Everybody, if you've got ideas, we want to hear from them. Do get online. Do get involved. Do send me an email. Just fill up my inbox. Uh, we want to hear from you, definitely, to be part of this. What about you, Aylin? What's What would be your kind of call to action with those who are potentially listening today and, and beyond? Um, my call to action is definitely take that audit. Um, when you're moving back into your offices over the next week or so, not only if, if you're interrupting somebody or somebody is interrupting you, it's a fascinating experience to do that for yourself in your setting and just try to understand the dynamics that are in the room and then, you know, do it for a couple of weeks so you have some patterns and some real data to uncover both biases that that you hold deep within, but then also um, the biases that those around you have and how that impacts um, how your voice shows up at work. And the other thing I would say is you have an intern somewhere who hasn't been told a thing about how this works. And so just reach out and ask them a question, see how they're doing, and then just give them a pro tip about some of the hidden world, like hidden rules of work, because they're all hidden because you've been living it every single day. So make it explicit for them and then help them along. Oh, you guys are amazing. So hidden tips, everybody, please, again, do share them. What is your hidden tip to make sure that everybody can kind of be part and show up and all that stuff that you don't get told on that first day of work that you really could do with. Without further ado, Aylan, thank you so much for joining us. Morton, thank you so much for bringing this conversation to us and today to, to join us. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Business Fights Poverty.